Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon Reads A Song of Ice and Fire, episode 202, Aria 5 in a Clash of Kings. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. And yes, are you ready for episode 202? We've graduated as a podcast (laughs) into a different level of class. And by that, I mean, it's still still us. We're still on our same bullshit. We have new bullshit. We'll talk about it. (sighs) That's one thing that never gets old is new bullshit with you. New bullshit with you. I was just talking at length recently on our dear friend San Rixian stream that she does here and there. I was on a little thing she does called San Scribbles, and we were talking about you. I think you had left at this point because you didn't respond in the chat, which is how I knew you had I left at this point. I said I was leaving. I had a birthday party I didn't see to that. go to. Wow. I announced birthday? it. Was it mine? No. it's. Jo- I went to George's birthday. But- no, I'm joking. George's birthday oh is this week, though, everyone. Wow. 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 Well... That's okay. I hope it was a good party, but I did speak about you at length. We went bowling. Uh, and about, yeah, I did. It, it was all all positive. I was just talking about the many things that we get to learn over these long, long episodes and years together of one another. Interesting. I feel like we could have gone over what it is that you've learned if we were in episode 200, but we're past that now, 202. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well. We have lots more to come other than just 202, like our Patreon bonus episode this month, which will be out at end of month for patrons in the Stranger tier, $5 tier and above. And this month we are covering a little ditty, a 1977 novelette by George R.R. R. Martin, you may know the man, called Bitter Blooms. It's about a girl who gets, oh my god. It's about a girl who gets lost in the woods in the deepest of winters and gets rescued by a magical woman who takes her back to her spaceship, not dragon. Sounds sexy. Sounds hot. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make it so sexy. I I was more (laughs) like trying to be like, where could they be taking her? A dragon? Oh. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. Well. You're just attracted to me. You don't have to say that in front of everybody, Elliot. I was like, wow. Yeah, Chloe, magical woman, take me to your spaceship. I'm taking you there to my spaceship. Yeah, so that's coming out this month. I'm taking Eliana to our spaceship. To the spaceship, yeah. We're going on a journey. As, uh, I mean, we are going to be in deep winter in a few months, so if we never come back, that's what happened. My God. My God. It's true. Something else that's happening this month and actually just a few days tomorrow in fact if you are listening to this when this comes out for the public is our next discord brunch slash happy hour brappy hour where there are sometimes games and giveaways and get to know yous this is available for patrons in the thunder tier and above ten dollars and up and yes september's is on september 23rd saturday september 23rd 2023 for the historians next month October is not on September. That's such a great point, Eliana. <laughs> it is Thank not you. on September. My God. Um, woo. Damn. Uh, after the Leo season ends, you know, and you gloss over what, what is it, Virgo season? You get into that, that Libra season. 
Is that somewhere in there? Am I right? Uh, I mean, you you should know, right? Like when the Libra season stuff happens and then after Libra season, is it what? Sagittarius? Mm-hmm. The transition mm-hmm. to Virgo season really hit me and my coworkers hard this year. I don't know what it was. Oh, it was that Mercury too. Yeah, that Mercury and Gatorade. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so next month's brunch is indeed happening, October's 2023 Discord Happy Hour slash Brunch. I will not deign to call it the term that Eliana wants it to become. That is an Eliana thing. <laughs> uh, it's happening on a Saturday. It's happening on the 21st. It is 3 to 5 p.m. ET. It's going to be a little little Halloween happy hour brunch. We're going to, you know, I encourage dressing up. It's an exciting day. Dress up if you want. You know, where your hollows wear. And I don't know, games. We're definitely going to have some some Halloween reindeer Ooh, games, some yeah, jack-o'-lantern some games. Mm, interesting, yeah. Interesting. Oh, I have plans. I have oh, plans. You do? Uh, oh, and, okay. Yeah. And patrons over on the Discord, if you want to contribute to those reindeer jack-o'-lantern games, let me know. I'm sure I could use the brain power. You know, it's 2023. I think it's time to own up that we are in our misinformation era. <laughs> we are misinforming. We're in our corruption era. We are the misinformation machine that is Girls Gone Canon. It's spelled misinformation like the way Miss Independence from Carly, yeah. <laughs> Kelly Clarkson. Misinformation. Misinformation. <laughs> Miss, keep your distance. <gasps> Chloe wasn't prepared for, <clears throat> for all the fun we're having this episode. Yeah, uh, you know, last episode we were really consumed with A, Ara, because Ara was amazing last week, don't mm-hmm. you all agree? But uh, B, very consumed with being in Arya's POV, and yeah, we totally forgot, we've been told by a couple people on the internet, our buddies, that, uh... The gold cloaks did not come to apprehend them. That was just Amory and his bros, his party. But to be fair, in the dark, it could have been fucking anyone. Who the fuck knows? It's like they said in the previous chapter, right? In the darkness, all cloaks are black. Okay, everyone. Okay. So, but no, um, yeah, I, I think that there probably wasn't that much communication between them. It's possible that there might have been some overlap, but... Ultimately, whether or not Amory Lorch was looking for Gendry or knew, yeah, it's true. He doesn't care. He just wants to stab. He just wants to kill. Yeah, and it's interesting, the failure of bureaucracy there, right? That they have two separate parties out looking for Arya, looking for people, looking for Gendry, and, like, none of them have their shit straight. Like, these are all people that they're like, yeah, we're totally looking for them, but no one in passing was like, hey, buddies, there's a clue in case you need it. Yeah, Amory Lorch is just an execution kind of guy, and we're out here, ideas people, we just don't understand, you know? We have a lot of ideas, we have a sometimes lot of ideas. they're false ideas. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> you know what? But what if, okay, here's an idea, Chloe, what if they had been gold cloaks? That is a great question, and thank God our <laughs> friends love to email us miniature essays Based off of our misinformation. So um, our very good colleague, esteemed friend, patron, etc., Clint from the Learned Hands podcast, ruled in regarding gold cloaks about their jurisdiction in the search for Gendry. 
<clears throat> Clint says that if the Gold Cloaks were a modern police force, their jurisdiction would end at King's Landing. That's where they're charged to defend. But in medieval terms, they're also sworn to obey the crown. So as a result, they can go wherever the crown wants them. Ha! That's what I said. Uh, also, <laughs> I'm a lawyer now. <laughs> Look at me, I'm the lawyer. Uh, but since Gendry is small folk at King's Landing and not sworn to other jurisdiction, they could cover him regardless of where he goes on the continent. Moreover, if Clint were a lawyer for the crown, wow, sellout. Interesting. Uh, if, has he thought about it, do you think? Uh, about just doing it? Is this just rolling around? He says he would argue the existence of a royal bastard threatens the king's peace. Holy shit. Wow. Which is expressly a federal... You're defending Joffrey now? A federal central government issue since the unification of the continent. Uh, Learn Hands episode 32, The United States of Westeros. He recommends you listen to it. We will link that. We'll dig that up for you. But... He does play the other side of this as someone who would wow. work for the capital. I see that. And he says, Yorin has a strong counter-argument that Gendry is under the jurisdiction of the Night's Watch. In Arya 2, he says, there's laws on such things. Here's your law. When the gold cloak takes out the sword and Yorin looks at the blade and he says, that's no law, just a sword happens. I got one too. Point is, the watch operates outside the structure of the Westerosi federal government. Gendry should be free and clear. If the boundaries of the watch are respected by the crown, see Learn Hands episode one, The Long Night Court. Spoiler alert, the watch is not respected by the crown. Of course, the watch is not, as he says, and the actions taken by the gold cloaks are another way to rule law and custom degrades in the main narrative leading to a breakdown of Westerosi society and its governmental structure as a whole. For more on this, see literally the entirety of the published narrative. Bravo. Thank you, Clint. Thank you. Everyone read the books. I agree. Yes. Thank I couldn't you, have said Clint. that better myself. Thank you, Clint, um, for, for this, for this, I don't know, what is this, an amicus brief? I'm just saying words. I'm just saying law words. <laughs> I don't know. I can't believe, I thought he was supposed to be punk rock. He's a sellout. Yeah, I mean. Working for, if I were working for jo no, I'm just kidding. I guess they're supposed to think that way, right? Because it's like. You have to anticipate. You got to be on your feet, ready for the 5D. other side's arguments all the time. Maybe he's really on the side of the Night's Watch and he's just like, you know, this is what my enemy would do. <laughs> Listen to the Learned Hands podcast where you can hear uh, Clint wax poetic alongside Mary his wonderful co-host. Uh, they're wonderful. They're great. Great, great, great. And thank you for the email. No, that was enjoyable. Yeah. Sorry about my misinformation. Yes. Thank you, Clint. And also, again, we have to keep the Arya readies every episode, partially because Clint will, will come after us legally if we do not. We've been told. We've mm -hmm. been told. Is it because he's working for the bad guys now? Unsure. Anyways... <laughs> We got another email. Yeah, our friend Josh Oak and Irony over on the socials. Yep, wrote in after we mentioned him in a recent episode. If you recall, uh, he had a few thoughts on Arya Two and Clash of Kings, and I think they're swell and they kind of work here. And I just want to bring them up. He opens up with some very hysterical banter, remarkery. I think you would all like it. Imagine you're listening to it. And then he kind of talks about some of the things we've been chatting on, like the allusions to the North, secret identities, stolen babies, 
Arya, Gendry, Jacken, wolves eating babies, but also like kind of a metaphorical wolf eating a baby, like Ned with John, for example. Ned wearing the direwolf sigil, stealing a king's bastard. Bale with Brandon's daughter, and Sam and Gilly. And then further, Rhaegar and Lyanna, John and Egret have similar archetypal roles. He thinks it's interesting that when George revisits the Bale the Bard archetype, it's to save Arya, who's being smuggled away here in this chapter. Arya famously is the one who looks most like John. But to come back to Gendry, it's his identity specifically as King's Bastard going north that stands out here. It feels like George giving you the outline of the story again. He's practically hitting you over the head with it. P.S. I really appreciate the IPA slander. Yes. I am all for it, in fact. That chocolate peanut butter porter from Duclaw is delicious. Yes, yes, yes. Sweet baby Jesus. I haven't had that in ages, and frankly, I'm a bit salty about it. Hello? Josh. Great email. Great email. If you're feeling salty, I have a salt ghost for you. It's from Union City. I think that's the name of the, the brewery. They got a great ghost that I really love. And oh. yeah. And oh, that sounds really yummy. Yeah, I really like this email. And yeah, I don't know. I feel like I've been wondering after this episode and also what, what Josh is saying here, like the way that things keep coming back to Gendry's uh, heritage, right? His identity kind of feels like... Definitely something's going to come of it. I know that the, you know, the show that these are based on uh, gave us one blueprint for how those could go. I kind of, I don't know if he would necessarily be the heir of like, what, House Baratheon or something? Or if he'd start a new one. I don't know, House of Bullrathian or something. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's what I have It for would be a here. bastard cadet branch is what it would be called. Bullrathian? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Cadet Kelly Branch, absolutely. Oh, <laughs> my God. I like this this usage of the word, like, stolen babies and stuff, uh, and the wolves eating babies. I don't know if I like that part, but um, <laughs> I don't know. Something makes me feel very, I'm in a fae kind of mood, you know, feels changeling, fae-like. Oh, changeling, know? yeah. Yeah. Makes me think of, yeah, on that same topic, you think of, like, the switcheroos on the babies yeah. especially, right? Like, that's very changeling. And then uh, it reminds me of what Cersei says to Ned about Ashara Dane, right? Like, why did she kill herself? Is it because of the brother you slew or the child you stole? Yeah. And, I mean, even her being a changeling, right? Gendry, to an extent, as one as well. Like, in that they're all mm -hmm. kind of, you know, again, secret identities. Anyway, we are coming back to this email from our friend Lo. Which uh, actually does get revisited this episode, this chapter. But first, I want to call out this thing that Lowe said on Twitter about Beric Dondarrion celebrating a birthday and suggested that Beric could celebrate his death day instead. I was like, interesting, interesting. It was a good idea. Lowe also shared some thoughts about the line that Arya remembers this chapter that Yorin gives her a warning about the fact that, you know, Half these people would turn you in immediately if they knew who you were. The other half would rape you and then turn you in. Which, uh, it's really something. I mean, and Lo was talking about, you know, how there's this danger that follows Arya's storyline, right? Um, uh, This danger of sexual violence because of Arya's gender. And this idea that if Arya's, in quotes, true identity were discovered, it puts her at risk 
specifically of sexual violence, not just the risk of being highborn and the monetary gain, etc. Like, it's a different risk than is carried by Gendry. And then also that this concept that there's a true identity or true gender sex that can one, be discovered, and two, is based in the body, when um, gender isn't necessarily something that works like that. And Lowe reminds us of historical trans people who were assigned female at birth, lived their lives as men, but then a bunch of people afterwards just thought that they discovered their true sex after they died. And Lowe has a lot of great thoughts on that that you can read more of in an essay called The Queer Potential of a Blank Slate, Stories of Transition at the Walda Citadel in the House of Black and White. And also Lowe talks a little bit more about Arya making water and the dangers around that, and has also gone into depth about that with Brienne and Arya, Gender Outlaws, which I think we might have discussed during the Brienne chapters as well. But we are going to link these two essays, and of course, if you want more low thoughts, you can find them on their new podcast, Ragman's Harbor. Give it a listen. Episode one is already out, and... I love actually how it kind of fits in with what Josh was saying a little bit, right? About oh. Arya and Jane and some of that switcheroo and that oh, getting yeah. Arya to the wall under disguise and that danger to Arya. And, you know, Lo emailed in the email, Lo set us, and more that you can read about at their blog is about Danny Flint. And it all kind of comes together, I think, when we get the that kind of interesting back and forth with Gendry and reveal with Gendry in this chapter. Yeah, especially, you know, the discussion of people who are assigned female at birth being at the wall. Yes. Well, thank you, everyone. We told you we were going to get to your messages, and we did. Now it's time for a little, something a little different. Also stormy, not just Gendry. It's the lightning round. Yes, indeed. We'll start off with Tyrion three in A Clash of Kings. Stannis sends out a big red flag or two announcing Cersei's incest. Inc- they should have just stood and had like on a sign, not that everyone could read it. It just says incest, or like SpongeBob with imagination, but it's <laughs> incest. incest. Every town square. Uh, uh. Brand two, the Lords of the North arrive for the harvest feast. Tyrion four. Tyrion gives his three confidants a different story, each in hope of catching the disloyal one. Sansa 2. Sansa is disappointed by drunken knights slash knights. Could be any chapter, honestly. I know. Well, honestly, it could be anyone's life, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And that lands us to Arya 5, where Arya is forced to reveal her true identity to Gendry right before they walk into a trap and are captured by Gregor Clegane and his men. Boo. Boo. Loud booing. Boo. Uh, atop the trees, Arya watches chimneys poke through. Roofs, streams. She pushes herself out on a branch to see smoke coming from those chimneys and wagons. Someone is there. Yeah, I don't know. I just felt like some of the climbing stuff is very brand-coded in this There are chapter. a lot of similarities. Yeah. A lot of brand chapter similarities going on, I'm noticing. They're very linked in a way, without being at all. Yeah, absolutely. Or maybe it's like leaning into something. I don't know. Hmm. Everything had been desolate and empty until now. If it could burn, the Lannisters burned it. If it could die, they killed it. 
The woods were even ablaze, though the recent rains kept it from erupting into a full forest fire. They would have burned the lake if they could have, Gendry had said, and Arya knew he was right. When they fled the village attacked by the Lannisters, the flames shimmered on the lake, making it come to life. They finally braved their way back the next night, though Hot Pie and Lamy pleaded for them not to. They found the Lannisters gone and inside of the broken-down village strewn with bodies and death. Wolves or dogs had been there. Arya refused to leave until they found Yorin. She told Gendry that there's no way they killed him. He's a man of the watch. But then they found his head split apart by an axe just the next paragraph and tangled beard and blood. His clothes are more gray than black. And Arya wonders how many men it took to bring him down and thinks that he was going to take her home. So Arya insists also that Yorin deserves a grave. There's like too many bodies and they can't give them all a grave, but she's like, we're going to fucking at least bury Yorin. She doesn't say it in those terms. And I just love that she does that to honor Yorin because throughout the previous chapters, we see that he insists on like burying people and honoring them, especially when they're part of their group in death. It would be really unlike me if I didn't talk about Sandor Clegane, since we're starting to get really close to him coming to the plot. So, uh, like with his brother in this chapter, for example. So I'm going to talk about Sandor Clegane. I don't want to surprise anyone, uh, but it reminds me a lot of how, you know, his, his entire arc post-death, quote-unquote for him, is grave digging, Right. Grave digging at the Quiet Isle is his penance, is maybe not something that could ever make it right, but it's a step in the right direction. So I love that Arya takes so much honor and thinks it's important and a very big tenant in her code that if a man that was that good, that promised to get her home and had all the intentions of it, good intentions, even if he had beat her in front of, you know, all the other boys, like she still is like... He had all the intentions to save me in this fuck-ass, bitch-ass world. Um, that, that means something to bury him. Like, that means something spiritually to her, let alone morally. And Arya learns a lot about mercy after this chapter. Uh, mm. You look back to her father's death, and Sirio's death, and Yorin's death. They all die unfairly with several men on one. There was never a chance, and somehow they survived longer than they should have, each of them, in that viper's pit where each died later much later in storm we'll come back to Arya killing the squire right when sandor reminds her to give him mercy and explains what mercy is but at the end of that chapter she leaves sandor to die right mm, yeah. drawing those very black and white distinct mm. moral lines of her code right of her methodology of you know who gets to live who gets to die and it's kind of the only thing in her life she's able to have control over at that point right like she's thinks she's lost all her family, slash has lost most of her family, uh, but the only control that she gets is being able to give justice, or what her version of justice is. That's so interesting. I never realized that, yeah, that is something, you know, some people, when they're seeking control over their lives, they do it in different ways, right? They'll, like, maybe, you know, suddenly try and exert that control over others, or, like, become paranoid, or, or like... It might manifest through, like, their eating habits, which Arya does not have control over right now. She is eating bugs. But the life and death is a really interesting one, especially because it's... It is not a typical thing most people have control over for others. Mm-mm. 
You, you shouldn't be able to pull that switch. It shouldn't be a switch. It's just a thing that most people literally do not have the ability to do or the skill. So it's, it, I mean, yeah. so it's just it's like, like very interesting. It's playing God. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I guess that that is what her storyline kind of mm -hmm. explores and becomes about. But yeah, there's so much in this chapter that kind of sets the stage for those Sandor chapters and the last one. I know. One. I'm so excited. <laughs> Oh, Yorin, Yorin, Yorin. Yeah, that was a rough one. The axe through the head, especially. It's like yet another ugly death. And this one she had to see. She got to look away from her dad. She didn't have <clears throat> to see Sirio die. But this is the one that she comes back and she sees his dead, broken body. That's actually a great point. Like, it escalates each time a little. Mm-hmm. That, that's really, that's really interesting. The first two deaths were faceless, but this one is... Yeah, and, full face on. <laughs> and this one is when you know people don't really. There's no adults there telling her to look away. She's like really looking at the corpses later on. And here, right? Because Gendry had remembered that the Lord's Tower House, um, you know, ignoring the Lannister corpses, they're right there next to Yorin too. We don't bother burying them because we are two children and we only have so much energy and time. Not us, Gendry and Arya. We are not two children. We are. Adults. <laughs> Gendry had remembered that the Lord's Tower House had three men guarding it with only one door, so they came back for them. Cutjack and Kurz had survived, and they were sheltering there briefly. They joined the group. Kurz says that they should press north, and Arya feels hopeful that they mean, oh, north-north. They come upon a village, no Winterfell, and watch from outside to see who is living in it. And the buildings are far off. She can't make out any banners. She hears a horse at one point. Exciting, but mostly birds and crows. Uh-oh. Caca. The god's eye is to the east, a sheet of sun-hammered blue that filled half the world. Beautiful. Arya feels like the lake is calling to her, wanting to leap in and bask nude in the sun. But she knows she can't take her clothes off, not even to wash them. She would dangle her feet in the water instead. Dang, that's rough. I never noticed that the god's eye was described just so brightly blue until just now, right? It's a very interesting color that stands out because it sounds like a very shiny blue, kind of like some others we know. And really kind of, I think, cements that connection then with like the magic of the old gods, perhaps, and, and the creation of the others, which I'm still not convinced is exactly like in the show. And also, it might be, like, similar, but not exactly like that. Anyways, speaking of which, Arya is watching for any sign of movement from the tree, and also, even that kind of feels very old godsy to me, right? Like, you're, instead of being on top of a tree, but, like, you're inside of a tree, waiting for a long-ass time as the old gods for a sign of life. There's something so... that blue color coming back to it, not just the other's eye, but, you know, who it really makes me think of is Brienne, oh. that blue of Tarth of the Isle, and sapphires, the sapphire blue of the sea, which is why it's named that. Interesting. So I was just thinking. And there's also a song that's like an old piano song, and it's something that I think we like, I learned when I was learning piano, like when I was like 11, that's called Sunhammered Blue. Oh, And I'm trying to remember it. Yeah, so I'm wondering if it's like a song that George maybe thought of when when referencing it it really might be 
I thought you were going to say that it reminded you of, like, the blue and the calling of the blue. It reminded you of Tyrion in the Sky Cells and the blue calling him. Oh, no. That's so funny because I was thinking a little bit of Tully, like House Tully at first. But... Yeah, as you said at the beginning before we started recording, family booty honor. Family booty honor, babe. Family booty honor. <laughs> oh, God. So Arya's shoes had rotted, and she throws them away finally. She had adapted to walking barefoot, her feet eventually becoming leathery, earth and mud underfoot and squishing in her toes. That girl's got athlete's foot, at least. Plantar fasciitis, athlete's foot, swamp toe or whatever you want to call it. I don't know. Swamp foot. It's not good down there. Things are bad. There's fungus. She's going to find mushrooms in those toes, dude. But that said, there are a lot of moments in this chapter that remind me a bit of Bran, as you said, but also a lot of Howland, and this is one of them, just being one with the land, walking in earth and mud, running on mud, breathing mud, you know, she- Yeah, uh, interesting. Like the last chapter when she was crawling and breathing mud. Oh, yeah. And not just Howland, but it's also, it's reminiscent of some of the religious forces we see, like the sparrows and the septons roaming the land. I was thinking of Septon Maribald and Dog and uh, the elder brother and that they do their work, you know, barefoot. And also then thinking of that penance again of the grave digger, whoever he may be, <clears throat> Sandor Clegane at the Quiet Isle and just that they serve their penance, you know, walking around barefoot and serving others, and some of those religious kind of tone things happening behind it. Very interesting. It is, it is. All those ties with religion again, like, there's a lot of that that I've never noticed in this chapter until rereading it now with this. And I don't know, you have to tell me, you have to tell me, Chloe, is this, like, whole thing about the, like, leathery earth, mud underfoot thing, like, is this a... The barefoot the horn stuff. Foots. Yeah, well, not hornfoot, but like also even just like a Lord of the Rings like Hobbit thing. You know, they like walking yeah. around barefoot and they're on like fucking crazy ass journeys, and that's what Eliana, they're doing. I really would like to tell you about this. Um, unfortunately, I have still not finished that first book, buddy. I'm still sitting Wait, there. You've still seen Wait. the Hobbits, and they have still had their hobbity feet. That's true. I have seen them. I don't know if it's necessarily a reference. It's probably a reference in no sorts. Idea. That's fine. I'm just going to say yes. Does that make you happy? Is that what you want to hear? You, you, you can say no. I just literally. I've been on the same I chapter for like four, t- four months at least. So if not has six George. Months. So has George. Eliana, um, <gasps> I have read like six Expanse books, but I can't fucking finish Lord of the Rings. You just want a magical lady to take you into her spaceship. This is just what it sounds like to me. I thought I was the magical lady in my spaceship, baby. Uh, maybe sorry, that's that's what you're that. drawn to with the expanse. <laughs> anyway, well, and, and to come back to Howland, right? They're they're very good. The books are rather rather great. Six is messy, but I like it still. Anyways, Arya is kind of sitting there and she's watching animals like swans, mm. who obviously don't seem to realize that war is afoot. And I have to say, coming back to Howland, she's looking out. There's this line, sorry, let me read it. From up here, she could see a small wooded island off to the northeast. Well, that's the Isle of Faces, baby. She's looking at the Isle of Faces when she says that. That's the island she can see. Oh, uh, if you yeah. go back to A Storm of Swords to Bran, 
The quiet wolf had offered the little Cranog man a place in his tent that night, but before he slept, he knelt on the lake shore, looking across the water to where the Isle of Faces would be and said a prayer to the old gods of North and Neck. Um, it's pretty much exactly like, you know, where they were for the tourney. This is basically tourney grounds right outside of Hall. I'm pretty sure, like the villages, and then you're close to where the tourney grounds would be. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. And I mean, all of that uh, line there speaks to Ara saying last time, you know, that the magic's stronger here. Absolutely. They're close. They're close. They could use some fucking magic right now, too. Real um, bad. Honestly, there is some magic in this chapter, and it's friendship between oh my Arya God. and Gendry. In the words of B.O.B. and Haley from Paramore, I could really use a wish right now. I thought you were going to say Flat Earth. Um. Wow. Uh, coming back to these swans. <laughs> this isn't a reference. I have like two things about swans, but the first thing because I know you have a great thing about swans. We've got a lot of talking about swans. Uh-huh. Uh, she sees black swans, and I don't know. This is this book was written ages before Fire and Blood, right? But we have the black swan, like Lady Joanna, the famed courtesan, slash courtesan in Arya's plots. You know, in general, like, she's always around the courtesans in A Feast for Crows. She works alongside them down at the docks. She knows them very well. She's kind of in awe of them. And Joanna Swan, known as the Black Swan, was a noblewoman from House Swan, and she ended up becoming an influential courtesan in Lys. Uh, this is, of course, in like 96 AC-ish, and the pirates, you know, had been out of the Stepstones, Triarchy got greedy, and she ends up enslaved at age 15. Her uncle doesn't give a shit and won't ransom her, which I'm like, oh, kids these days getting, you know, they aren't getting ransomed by their brother. In war until their mother, you know, breaks the out Jamie Lannister. Interesting. There's Interesting. almost a connection there for for what happened to Joanna that, you know, Arya and Sansa, they didn't they're like, nah, we really can't trade them. But yeah, so she basically becomes the eventual ruler of lease in all but name, right? She has a great hold on its money, currency, etc. And her fate's kind of unknown after all we hear in Fire and Blood. But I do think there might be some like reverse echoes there that George is you know, maybe he thought about it in post, like, oh, the black swan, maybe I should name that with my girl. But it's interesting because I just feel like Arya's plot comes to be so important when she's getting down in Bravos in the economy and learning all of how it works there, all of their little capitalism they have going on. Do you wonder if like, so I love, I love those connections and yeah, the fates of how, like, Arya and Sansa tie into Black Swan, this courtesan, but also this idea of performance that they have to do throughout the this, and then, yeah, how mm-hmm. Arya intersects with a lot of them. But also, random, like, do you think we would possibly get maybe more explanation about Joanna Swan in House of the Dragon? I think so. I wouldn't be surprised if they, like, expanded on that, because she got a mention in season one. Oh, that's right. Interesting. At the hunt, when they're uh, beforehand with the noble ladies, and they know what we want. Yeah, yeah, they are. They are dropping little like moments like that, little details. So I wouldn't be surprised if she gets somewhat of a plot, um, especially because they want to go five seasons, which is funny. And I don't know how they could stretch it out without going into some of lease with Viserys, right? Mm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So we might have full-ass plots in Lise oh. meeting Joanna Swan. Interesting. 
Huh. Mm-hmm. Huh. And Triarchy War and stuff and seeing it through their POV over there. Yeah. I, I would guess we would get a little Rojar action going on and seeing him living there once in a while. Who knows? Maybe not, but... Yeah. I mean, how else are you going to fill out five fucking seasons? I don't know. I think you could speed up some of that plot and actually show it. I think that's great filler to make up. I mean, season two is going to have great Winterfell filler, you know? Yeah, and I just also think the Free City stuff, it just seems like it could be cool. And again, like, we always talk about the importance of it for the rest of the plot in in the mm-hmm. main books and how it's probably going to play a much bigger role, which is why we have a series. <laughs> And we did get a couple scenes. Yeah. In our least episodes, we did also, you know, we had those, uh, those moments in House of the Dragon where Damon and Lena were in pentos. We didn't get a ton of it, but I could see them expanding to show a handful of scenes in season three. Yeah. Once the kids have been fucking split up. So I actually like was reminded of something different. I've definitely discussed this, this Irish myth before called the children of lear which is about four swans but you know what whatever i don't care that they're sweet three swans Arya sees them and they give off a vibe and she's thinking of like she wants to be like them they're very serene you know it sounds like they're untouched by time (laughs) unspoiled by all the things that are going on around here right now yeah so it reminds me of this myth the children of lear which are about these like four kids who were turned into swans by basically their evil stepmother who curses them. They long to return back to who they were as as humans, but also want to return home. But they're cursed to spend 300 years of time in three different places. I would tell you where they were, but Old Irish English is not pronounced the way that it's spelled, and I am gonna fuck it up. So that's 900 (laughs) years total. And by the time they finally return home to Lear, because a lot changes in 900 years, a lot has changed in my life, in the 18 years I've been alive and real so real (laughs) so real and home is overgrown it's just gone right like it's just it's just ruins and gone and then they also finally get to turn back into humans but when they're humans they're not in their children form they're fucking old they're super old because they're 900 years old and it feels like a mirror to Arya's storyline, even maybe all of the Starks, right? This longing of being able to return home and likely finding it gone and changed. She, her form has also been changed too, right? She didn't want that to happen, but it was forced upon her. And then also this stolen childhood that you talked about a few chapters ago, right? Arya doesn't, she jumps from being a child to like hardened and old by all the things that have happened to her as she's forced to go on this journey. Interesting. I really like that. And I like that um, it kind of just the language you were using makes me think of the ghost of High Heart old? a little. Oh, yeah. Because old but small. Oh. Old but small and t- like albino. And so like the opposite of the black swans, right? Because part of the thing about the black swans in general in literature is like, oh, a black swan. How different. Um, <laughs> well, you know, like that is the point. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And, I'm going to I'm going to mention it soon, get ready. But I yeah, there's something there that just reminded me of the ghost of High Heart and like her having lost all of this part of her life and experiences after Summerhall and the horrible 
fires that killed the people she knew and loved, and then she's like lived with the ghosts, and that's kind of who Arya is already, but not an albino. <laughs> so yeah, I guess the opposite, but mm-hmm. not on a less mysterious magical journey though. Like True. still aligned, aligned. I mean, the um, whole like aspect of coloring, right? Really. St- is tied to magic in when it comes to the mm-hmm. old gods and their magic as we learn from like the eyes and stuff and as you said albino. ghost yeah yeah albinism uh okay one last one last black swan theory discussion thing so maybe george is referencing this because it's like the chapter as a whole and a fun little peaceful symbolic moment but the phrase black swan comes from a Latin expression from like second century Roman poet Juvenal's a rare bird in the lands and very much like a black swan. So when the phrase was like originally coined, black swans didn't exist, quote unquote. Everyone was like, there's no such thing as a black swan. And the metaphor is basically an analogy of like a fragility of a system of thought, conclusions that can be undone if something is disproved. So like in this case, seeing a black swan would undo the entire logic of the system of thought that you grew up on being told black swans, they don't exist. Uh, So any reasoning that follows from that underlying logic would also be undone. So, you know, like knights, if you were told knights good, and then a knight showed up and they were bad, you would be like, oh my God, I can't believe they just did that. And so anyways, yeah, then of course, turns out they do exist. So it gets talked about in a theory that's like 01 through 07 by some finance book guy, and I don't care about him. I want you to know I don't care what happens to him or his book. Uh, But the whole, it was like the pre-economy crash here in the U.S., and he played it off as a black swan theory or the theory of black swan events. It's a metaphor that describes an event that comes as a surprise, has a major effect, and is often inappropriately rationalized after the fact with the benefit of hindsight. Mm. So it can't be predicted. Though, after the fact, people will often falsely claim, oh, that should have been stoppable or predicted, much like the economy crash, right, uh, that we experienced in the aughts. But, or, for example, watching this entire chapter and being like, no, you're walking into a trap, you guys. You're walking into a trap because we know what's happening because we've read Tyrion chapters. We've read chapters at court. We know what's happening in the Riverlands at Harrenhal. But they don't know. And for hours, we're going to sit here and be like, well, that's not surprising. How would they know their kids? They were just walking around trying to survive. How would they know? But it's a black swan event. That's straight up a black swan event because it's something that like we're sitting here like, oh, no, don't do it. Take your ear pods out. Get them out. That's interesting because I thought also like that's a black swan event and we can see it after the fact, which is the case with a lot of these things in the yeah. books, right? But also... Lamy saying about this random thing afterwards, he keeps rationalizing it and being like, we should have yielded back we there. We should have yielded. We could have fucking survived if we had yielded yes! back there. And it's like, no, you fucking That's wouldn't have. That's a Black have. Swan event. Yeah, bitch. <laughs> Which this proves. Yeah. Yeah. So um, <laughs> there's a lot of them in here. I wonder, I wonder if there's like three in this to think about, right? And I just mm-hmm. can't figure out what the third Probably. one is. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I wonder. I wonder. Who knows? George likes some of those old little, you know, isms. Whatever you want to call it. Little metaphors. So maybe. Maybe not, though. Uh-oh. Black swans. <laughs> House Baratheon. So, so, 
Arya eats bugs and acorn paste for breakfast, remembering that she once ate a bug to make Sansa scream when she was little. Aw, I love Aww. siblings. It must be so cute. It must be cute. Weasel... <laughs> Weasel isn't afraid to eat bugs, but Hot Pie rushes up his beetle, and Lamy and Gendry prefer to go hungry. Bullish. Weak. Uh, actually, literally, that'll make you weak. Maybe if Lamy had eaten some bugs, here's my fucking black swan shit. Maybe if Lamy had eaten some bugs, his body would have had the nutrients to fight the infection in his leg. Think Boom, about it. Black swan. Think Boom. about it. <laughs> Anyways. Arya being very comfortable with eating worms. Also shows why she's so comfortable being like, you can't scare me, kindly man. I'm going to eat the worm from your eye. Uh, I also like that hot pie. He tries to eat it. And then he's like, I can't do this. And like does something with like blackberries instead in a second. But it shows to me that hot pie is an open-minded, very adventurous eater, right? But he also knows what he likes. He's maybe, maybe he's got too refined of tastes based on where he worked before, but he's willing to give it a try. Anthony Bourdain, except Anthony Bourdain would have probably liked it a little, so. I like that, but it's true. Like, I'm thinking hot pie has a has taste. He doesn't like, I mean, once you've had good food, that's like the, one of the very few things in life that are good. There mm-hmm. are only like five things that are good, and I'm not going to describe them from, like, food to orgasms to friendship or whatever. Like, we don't have to talk about them, even though I just did say them. But, Name three. Like, food is up there. Yeah, that's three. I mean, and that's all. I can't. Oh, cats. Cats, cats maybe. Are fun. Um, four. Five. Yeah, I, I just think weed. Uh, anyways, yeah. So I think that Hot Pie gets it. He totally gets it, man. He loves food. And I respect that. Because, like, once you, how am I going to go back? Yeah, I just I just respect that he like tried it, and you know I just trust his taste. I don't know, you know, worms are it's a sustenance thing, right? I, yeah, I'm sure they could be made delicious. You just gotta gotta season them right, and I don't know if that's mud oh and raw. I do want to say that the uh, Arya is eating acorn paste and we have another Stark eat acorn paste next book in Dance with Dragons right? We have Bran eating acorn paste so Arya's is actually acorn paste I'm pretty sure but I think it is she doesn't have any of that fancy fancy tree stuff here yet again that's probably very I wonder if Hot Pie would like that I want Hot Pie to, hmm. I, don't, I want Hot Pie to have magical tree sap now for his own culinary adventure also I don't know if it, like paste is different but i will say i've learned recently if i'm understanding this correctly you could make a corn flour and if you really wanted to make pasta from it interesting and so can you outline for me how you would suggest they right now in the woods make that pasta and cook it uh yeah you get water i assume it works a little like durum flour Maybe it's got a high protein count. I have no idea. And then they take the water that they do apparently have, and then they make, you grind the thing, you make the paste, you dry it out, or or you cut it into the little noodles with your swords and shit, and then you dry it out. I I am, I'm a survival genius, clearly. I'm uh I'm gonna let you have this round, but don't worry, I I'll be back be, next time to call you out. I could be spreading misinformation again. Let's let's not rule that out. 
So the day before, Gendry caught a frog to share with Lamy. Stop smiling. Oh my god. <laughs> Knock that fucking face off your mouth, bitch. Um, <laughs> She's so proud of herself. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I've escaped yet again. Uh, the master of my own podcast. <laughs> uh, Stroking your like villain beard. <clears throat> I do kind of do that. Stroke my non-existent villain beard. I know. The day before, Gendry caught a frog to share with Lamy, and days before that, Hot Pie found blackberries, but mostly had been a lot of water and acorns. Kurz had taught them how to make it into a paste. It was awful. Arya missed him. <laughs> he died taking an arrow through the shoulder at the tower house, pulling up the ladder, and Tarber packed it with mud and moss. For a day or two, Kurz said it was nothing, but red angry welts began to grow across him, and the next morning he couldn't move and the next he was dead. They bury him under stones. Cutjack takes his sword and hunting horn, and Tarber takes his bow, knife, and boots. And then, Cutjack and Tarber took all of those things, and they didn't come back, because they're assholes. They thought maybe they'd went to bring food back and feed everyone, but eventually Gendry tells them that they gotta move on. Arya hated them for leaving, understandably, whether they had better luck without the kids or not. Kurz had also taught them to communicate with animal calls, and Gendry sent a bark their way. Arya hopped from branch to branch and then rolls to Gendry, you know, uh, very athletic. And you were talking about Howland Reed earlier, and this is also, I think, kind of reminiscent of him, right? Like, we've, we've talked about how Howland allegedly runs across leaves. Probably not on the ground, I guess, and... Okay. Whatever. So Arya doing this jumping from branch to branch here makes me think, oh, is this Howlandy? And also, no wonder then that Bran thinks that Leaf reminds him of Arya. Again, talking about like all those ties with the children of the forest, and even like the imitating animal calls thing kind of harkens back to, again, Arya talking about there being more magic here, but also all these allusions to Arya's skin changing here. Uh, she can actually literally make animal calls, probably, with a little practice. No wonder she's so mad at Gendry when he's like, you suck at animal calls or whatever. She's like, what the fuck? She's like, I'm an animal call prodigy. I'm an animal <laughs> call genius. And yeah. <laughs> call, he has let me just no call fucking on my, clue. Like, little wolf phone in my head. <laughs> um, call her beeper if you want to ring her. Yeah. And unfortunately... You know, it's not impossible. It's Nymeria. She's she's somewhere else. Also, it's cute that Arya gives herself a different name here. When she's like hopping down, she thinks Lightfoot rather than Underfoot, but it's just in her head. I'm like, ah, cute. It reminds me of Littlefoot oh! from Land Before Time. So, speaking Littlefoot. of trees, tree stars, tree stars, tree stars. Man, if they had some fucking tree stars here. They would be sad. Not that they're dinosaurs who are Can I say something without you getting mad at me? Do you not like the land before? Are you... No, no, no. It's just, are you more... I'm trying to figure out if you're Petri or Spike. Oh, I think I have a podcast so I couldn't be Spike. Mm. I just think that I'm very ducky or Cerakoted, but probably... Uh. I don't know. I could be Chomper. Okay. Anyways. I don't know. We're going. We're going down the rabbit hole. We're coming back to the we're podcast. Coming. Never mind. This isn't what I wanted to know. 
Uh, Gendry asks what Arya saw atop the tree, which kind of makes me think about her feast chapters and bringing secrets back, right? When she would come from her journeys and they say, what are your secrets you learned, Arya? Well, Gendry wants to know those secrets now, here. She says she saw a fishing village on the shore, a wagon, hatch roofs, and someone there. Weasel creeps out of the bushes. Her mouth is wet and dry, and Arya's like, my god, I hope she hasn't been eating mud again. This is so real. Arya is now a single mother of four people. Yeah. Including some boys that are almost fully grown. Just kidding. Her and Gendry are young parents in this. Uh, I don't know. Actually, literally, though, in this chapter, Arya seems to have taken on kind of that parentified role in the absence of the leaders of the group and adults, and she's kind of a caretaker and the leader of the group. Even for her, by chapter's end, though, like, she gets kind of a very mean and cruel reminder that she's a nine-year-old little girl and not a leader of a surviving rebel faction, you know? It's interesting. They're kind of like, she's acting the first, like, 70% of this chapter. They're acting like they're, you know, rebellion leaders. Yeah. And it's like, nah, girl, you're nine. You are nine. And boy, does she get reminded of that. Just knocked on her ass. It's really sad. Um... Yeah, the hits for real. don't stop coming. Apparently, in her storyline, but yeah, she's she's trying to take care and keep all these kids together and alive, and that falls apart. But it also reminds me. I mean, I wonder if that's meant to kind of complement Sansa's storyline too, right? She's taking care of a little kid, only one of them. Mm, yeah, but yeah, and he's a handful. He is. He is hot pie who's focused on the important things here, says that there might be food if there are people, and maybe they'll feed them, but not so <laughs> focused on the fo- on the important things that uh recognizes that could be a threat. Lamy props himself up, having taken a spear through his calf at the fight. By the end of the next day, he limped around one-legged, but now he couldn't even do that. There may be a little litter for him, but it was slow to move and painful for him. But the sympathy is harder to give other than that, because Lamy won't shut the fuck up about, again, that black swan of Yorin should have yielded. But Hot Pie agrees and is like, we're supposed to do what the king says, right? Gentry talks that horseshit down, though, reminding them, Knights and lordlings, they take each other captive and pay ransoms, but they don't care if the likes of you yield or not. I love that. It's giving class distinction, right? Because nobles will always be nobles. Well, until they're not. Uh, And the small folk are always small under the nobles' fists. It's a clear distinction to make, and it's, like, important because Gendry has lived on both sides and seen it in a way. Not Mm. both sides, but he's lived close to both sides. He's lived as small folk in the shadow of his father's castle without realizing it. He's been luckier than most because of that, whether he realizes it or not. Uh, but he's gotten to see both sides of it, and those get that don't have that protection that he has, or that Arya has. Yeah, the protection from that, but also even protection of people like Yorin mm-hmm. looking out for him, right? Who who don't operate like knights and lordlings, because they're not, they're outside that system. And he's also, I mean, he's just lucky, right, that he wasn't like the little babies. All the all those little kids who got killed. Dude, shit-canned. Yep. Crows are by the water, so something is dead there. Lamy and Hot Pie keep talking about food. Understandable fish. Crows are like, they should make a fire, but Gendry sternly reminds them, no fires. And also, 
I love this. Arya finding out. She's like, yeah, I don't know. I really thought I could catch fish. Um, it looked so easy. I thought it was going to be easier than cats, but turns out fish are actually way harder than cats. My bad. Uh, Dunning-Kruger strikes again. <laughs> <laughs> looks way easier made it look so easy uh and she's stressed like not to mention she's fucking stressed out right now i love the device that george always uses of fire being something that can keep you alive but at what cost right like mm. it also kills you uh it's like putting a crown of fire in the ground and especially when it comes to the others and also all those ideas of duty and war and fire consuming mm. and cold preserving very interesting to me feels very very that, very vibes going on there. Yeah, yeah, I like that. The duality, because, I mean, interestingly, if you're being hunted north of the wall, you do want the fire. Mm-hmm. Or you die, and there's no being hunted anymore. Oh, exciting. Then you become part of the hunt. Oh, if you can't beat them, then join them, they uh, always say. That is exactly what's happening up there in the north. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sick of us. <laughs> Misinformation. <laughs> so, I like this part where they make fun of Arya and call her worm breath. Not because they make fun of her, but as we know, worms are associated with death. And then, speaking about the ghost of High Heart, right? The ghost of High Heart says, Oh, I thought it was you who smelled of death, you know, speaking to one of, to like, Eric, but turns out it was Arya. Arya is the one who smells of death. And maybe it's because she eats worms, but it could be something else. It's like really symbolic now that you say that, that she eats worms here, eats the kindly man's worms, and then becomes basically the master of death. Yeah. She's not wow. and become death. She's master of death. Different things. Different yeah. things. Yeah, but I, I do, I think that's something. I think that's something, my god. Yeah. I don't know what yet. But I, I mean, agree. there are no other characters that eat this many worms. Okay, I have a tinfoil. Is it related to the faceless men as a kind of death cult summoning the worms to kill all of Valyria? Oh, like the worms. That wasn't the craziest yeah. thing I've ever I've ever said. I don't know. I like it though. I really do think there's something about the worms. Yeah, I don't know. And what I think it that is. connection, especially with fire and blood, now that you say that, I'm like, yeah. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot about Valeria that. worms. Like you just said the Valeria worms thing, and I'm like, oh yeah, and also Aria and her worms. I keep seeing the little like Muppet or Sesame Street worms, though. Oh. They're Ooh. so cute. Okay, okay. Now I'm thinking about, like, pinworms, and they're disgusting. Oh, Ugh. no, not fun, not fun. I mean, even Aria's worms in Fire and Blood are described so cute with their little faces. Those, are they always, again, they give me Sand King's vibes. Mm-hmm. I haven't read that still, remember? You haven't. It's coming someday. Wanted, it's I, coming. It really could happen. It really could happen. <laughs> All right, all right. Back in Westeros, <laughs> Lamy tries to say if his leg was better, he'd hunt a boar for them. And Arya's like, ha, 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 ha. okay, you have to be a rich person to hunt a boar. You need men. You need dogs. You need land. And she's like, of course, she has never been on a boar hunt. Her father would hunt them with Rob and John, and once even Bran, but never her. Septim Mordain said it wasn't for ladies, and Mother said she could have a hawk when she was older. She thinks, well, 
She was older now, but if she had a hawk, she'd eat it. <laughs> Hot, <laughs> I mean, true. <sighs> Hot Pie, of course, is like, how do you know that? And Gendry's like, shut up, Hot Pie. I'm trying to think, which is a great save because that is kind of like a, how do you know all that, Arya? It, yeah, yeah. Also, does that mean she's going to get skin change a hawk? I don't know. Probably not. Anyway. Maybe. Uh, I really like this line uh, about Gendry. It's very relatable. He always looked pained <laughs> when he tried to think, like it hurt him. Something fierce. Mood, Gendry, mood. Gendry decides that both Arya and Gendry should sneak into the village. Lamy is worried that they won't come back and he'll be stranded there. Hot Pie worries that the wolves will eat them. Arya had heard them the night before, to be fair. Uh, sometimes I, I, I have a random story of like all the neighborhood dogs. They all howl as one. Uh, one dog starts howling, then all of them do. And it's hilarious. You can just hear it. Some of them, they're tiny dogs. And you, it's like they think they're wolves. Um, I love this. That happens here sometimes, too. Yeah. It's precious. Yeah. I don't love Couple it in the middle of the get night. going. Yeah. It, it sometimes makes no. me up, but at the same time, they're having fun. I'm happy for them. I don't love it at 6, 37 a.m. No. That happened to me today. Mm, at, like, around it. that time. Yeah. It just interrupts right before I get to wake up, you know, like a little bit before my alarm eventually yeah. goes off. And it's like, I, I savor that last 40 minutes, man. Yeah. I need it. You really do. Yeah. I, uh, you know me. I'm bad at sleeping. Gendry tells them all to shut up. And he's like, Lami, you have a spear to defend yourself with. And we're just going to go scout, get closer and come back before, you know, nightfall, nightfall. He commands them to keep Weasel there, don't let her run off, and off he goes. Arya scampers to keep up, as he's a foot higher than her. And when Gendry finally stops walking, he tells her he thinks Lamy is going to die. She says, maybe we can find a maester. But Gendry reminds her, maesters are in castles, and people in castles don't care about Lamy. Oh, it's Aww. true. She says she doesn't believe that and thinks that Maester Lewin would have helped anyone who needed it. And I'm like, just tears, tears, Maester Lewin. Oh, he's dead too. I know. Very soon. Not yet, but soon. <gasps> yeah, it's very sad. And I do have to add, I love that he, you know, right here, he feels able to confide in her at that moment and say that uh, because no one else in this group can he say that to. Like, that's a very heavy burden to put on someone's shoulders to say, we're going to have to kill Lamy or leave him because he, if he doesn't die right now, he will die soon. And, you know, like it's a big it's like a survival thing. I think about the walking dead and I'm like, they've had to have those difficult kind of conversations of, dude, this guy's going to die. What do we do? We got to be prepared that he's gone. He's dead. That's actually really interesting because I didn't realize that. But, yeah, he he's picked up that she's like a survivor. He's like she's done whatever it has to take to blend in here. And also, I think mm -hmm. he's, like, I've seen her fight, like, A, back back there at that um, village, but also, I he's, like, he probably does believe that she did kill a boy, because she did. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe he's just, like, she, you know, she's a survivor, she, she'll do what needs to be done to, to yeah. live. But then Arya's, like, uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gendry says it's better, right, if he dies. Lamy's useless. He's slowing everyone down. That talk of yielding. He's a fucking scab. 
Uh, but Weasel, too, right? Weasel is slowing us down. And Arya's like, uh, Weasel is scared and hungry. That's all. And Gendry's like, Lamy's hot pies and Weasel's, they get Arya's and Gendry's killed. Don't you get that? Aw, oh, but it's their job. They're supposed to protect them because they're the lords and the ladies. Not that Gendry knows that. Bullrathian. Right, um, right, right. Bullrathian. The cadet branch. I've been saying this since the beginning. I'm glad it's sinking in for you. Glad you're coming around. Um, yeah. So, yeah, this is, a, you know, you were talking about the Sandor stuff. This is one of those first times that Arya is called to give the gift of mercy, allegedly, right? Or in a way, showing later on how she gets to the point that she refuses to give that gift to the Hound later. And, I don't know, Lamy might be annoying, but... Arya's kind of like Ned here, right? She's not going to just abandon or leave someone like that. Or I think at least this version of Arya wouldn't. Show Arya voice, right? That's not me. (laughs) (laughs) Gendry kind of takes it farther and he's like, you're the only useful one here, even though you're a girl. And she's like, whoa, what the fuck? I'm not a girl. And he's like, do you? think I'm stupid? And she's like, yeah, but the Night's Watch doesn't accept girls. Why would I be going there? There you go. Checkmate. Checkmate He's like, um, (laughs) you don't piss with the boys. You don't hang out with the boys. You don't, you know, come on around here. So unless you're a eunuch and they have this flirty, crafty little back and forth where Gendry's like, I'm not afraid to whip it out. Maybe you should whip it out. He says, I don't have anything to hide like you do. And she says, yes, you do. And she's desperate, this is a great line, desperate to escape the subject of a cock she didn't have. Yeah. Whomst amongst us. Deflection. <laughs> and yeah, I thought this, the accusation of her being a eunuch was interesting in regards to Arya being outside those roles of gender in Westeros- Westerosi society, right? Being these gender outlaws, eunuchs are kind of forced into that position, my society as well. But also... That the most prominent eunuch we have in the storyline, right? Arguably, there are other that are important ones, but Varys, I mean, let's be real, he's the most prominent one. He's got a history of being a mummer, which ties, mm-hmm. of course, into Arya's later story. Not to give too much about that, but Gendry, also Gendry wishing that he knew secrets about himself, kind of reminds me a little of, like, you know, John wishing that he knew what the fuck was going on with him. I still want to know what's going on with him, honestly. Gendry asks why she thought the gold cloaks were after her, since Yorin also obviously knew. And she's like, well, I'll tell you if you tell me. But he doesn't know why he's being sought after. She's like, oh, well, I guess at least now you know about me. I'm kind of relieved, whatever, blah, blah, blah. She makes him swear not to tell Lamy and Hot Pie. Could have told Lamy something before he died. Damn. And he promises not to. I'm just kidding. No, uh, she reveals. <laughs> yeah, in a moment. She reveals she's Arya Stark. And it takes him a moment and he realizes he's like, the traitor's daughter. And she's like, no, he's not a traitor. But yes, that is my dad. She nods and tells him she was going to be dropped off at home. And Gendry is in shock because he's realizing she's a lady. And she looks down at the dirt and scabs lining her body. And she's like, my mom's a lady. And she thinks Sansa, too. But not me. Yeah, there's, um... First of all, 
I'm glad that, uh, you know, Ned got to meet his uh, his daughter's future boyfriend for a split second there. <laughs> um, JK, JK, unless. Also, there's these heartbreaking lines with, like, you know, Septimordain wouldn't even know me, I bet. Sansa might, but she'd pretend not to, as she's, like, thinking about how she doesn't look like a lady. And first of all, Septimordain, yeah, she wouldn't know you because she's dead. Second, I kind of wonder if, like... Is this speaking something that will to something that'll happen with Sansa and Arya's later dynamic, right? Like, what if Sansa somehow figures out, recognizes that Arya's who she is, even if she's like in disguise or something, um, or she had to disguise herself, and Sansa sees her and she's like, "That's my sister," or like, what if Arya and Sansa they have to pretend to be at odds with one another later on for politicking, kind of like what happened in the show these are based off of, but, like, not as stupid as that. Way better. Mm. Um, or maybe Sansa, like, sends Arya, or, like, they collaborate on, like, some mission, right? And Arya's going undercover in disguise and is, like, in the room or something, pretending to be, I don't know, a servant or someone else, and Sansa has to pretend to not know Arya when she's in disguise doing these rogue class things. I'm sorry, and I just have to stop you there. They made a show about this? Uh, these are- this was originally a show. Did you- they didn't make a show about this. This is about the show. Thank you. Uh, and then second- second note, thank you for that. I just thought it was a good moment. And no, there's something too about the shadows and like lurking and playing in the shadows. And again, this is very uh, Crusader Kings 3 Agat mod <laughs> influenced. I've been playing a lot of that this week. I've returned to it. I play a lot of games like seasonally, rotationally, you know, a few months at a time, you know, several dozen hours every other day. Um, anyways, but yeah, like, you know, disguise, shadows, intrigue, web weaving, um, a, a mistress of shadows in the background, doing some work in the background, yes. very hooded hand style. I don't know. Interesting. Exactly. Exactly. Gendry is like, you don't get it. You're a lord's daughter. You live in a castle and I just talked about cocks in front of you. And I've pissed in front of you? Oh my god. Oh my god. He's gosh. like, wow, I must be punished. Uh, and we have this great back and forth. I beg your pardon, milady. Stop that. I know my courtesies, milady. Whenever highborn girls came into the shop with their fathers, my master told me I was to bend the knee and speak only when they spoke to me and call them milady. If you start calling me milady, even Hot Pie is going to notice, and you better keep on pissing the same way, too. As milady commands. Arya slammed his chest with both hands. He tripped over a stone and sat down with a thump. Ugh. What kind of lord's daughter are you? This kind. She kicked him in the side, but it only made him laugh harder. <laughs> you laugh all you like. I'm going to see who's in the village. Why do people fake laugh? But anyways, precious babies. <laughs> precious babies. Oh, I also, uh, there's something fun about this interaction, really, again, revealing how this gender and class in Westeros and, like, this the performance that goes alongside of it and then who they are when people can just be themselves. It's a very sweet, innocent moment between them where it's like they're sharing a joke, even though the joke is like, haha, we're all in danger and our, <laughs> we have no family and we might never see anyone that we like or know or have safety ever again, haha. But it's like the one last pure moment before everything goes to shit. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Because then the sun begins to set. The scent of rotten flesh is on the wind. Whose? They don't know. They split up to scout more efficiently. You never want to do that. And Gendry tells her to bark if she needs help. She tells him if it's that bad, she'll shout. This is uh, this passage I could not not include because I just love it. When she glanced back over her shoulder, he was watching her with that pained look on his face that meant he was thinking. He was probably thinking he shouldn't be letting the lady go stealing food. Arya just knew he was going to be stupid now. That line is everything to me. Arya just knew he was going to be stupid now. And he does, right? Later on, she's like, you stupid, 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 stupid. Uh, But not because of this. Black Swan thing. Stupider. (laughs) Black Uh, Swan stuff. Hashtag Hashtag Black Black Swan Swan stuff. (laughs) Oh, stuff is better. Uh, mm -hmm. Black Swan stuff. It's hard to say. I I almost missed the letters Mm -hmm. there. At the village, the scent is foul, the trees are thin, and she slips in the shadows, hearing horses and men's voices. The smell gets worse, and by the time she reaches the south of the village, lantern bugs appear. She finally finds what is making the smell. At the waters of the god's eye, a long gibbet of wood is thrown up, and things that once had been men dangled there, corpses eaten by flies and crows, men who had been ripped apart, savage, decayed. We have this reminder of fear cuts deeper than swords. Dead men could not hurt her, but whoever had killed them could. A, again, up north where people, if they can't beat them, join them. Dead men can hurt you. Arya looking at these corpses and then how they don't look like people, it kind of, I feel, mirrors a little bit of Sansa looking at Ned's head. Mm, yeah, that dissociation. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah, the smell alone. Uh, my God. My God. Men in hauberks lean up on their spears by the water, and the dusk makes it hard to tell which banners are up. But she hears a shout, and a third man comes into view, shoving a prisoner wearing bull's horns to his knees. You stupid, 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 she thought. If he'd been here, she would have kicked him again. (laughs) The guards question him. They don't really like the answers they get, so they smash him across the face and they kick him. They march him off toward a storehouse where guards fling him inside and bar the doors. Arya can hear sobs from the building from others behind him. A breath of wind comes through the lake. The banners shift, of course. One is holding the golden lion, just like she feared. The other one, she doesn't quite know. It's three black shapes on a field of yellow. I just can't figure out who it could be. Who could it be? Uh, dogs, she thought. Locusts, she said. She knew them from somewhere, but nothing matters, just that they had Gendry. Deep cuts, deep cuts with that locust. Locust. Even, we have this line of, even if he was stubborn and stupid, she had to get him out. She wondered if they knew that the queen wanted him. One of the guards took off his helm and donned Gendry's instead. It made her angry to see him wearing it, but... She knew there was nothing she could do to stop him. There's something here that reminds me of, you know, how she ends A Storm of Swords with the Hound, and Brienne then finding the Hound's helm, right, in Feast in her own arc, and having someone else having stolen Uh. the Hound's helm, wearing it. A little reminiscent of that for me when his helm gets stolen, and that symbolism behind the helm and what it means to wear, you know, to wear those bull's horns, to wear that dog helm. What does it mean? To be that person and to put that on and what kind of person you're becoming. 
the person he is in the helm and, you know, before he donned the cowl. Yeah, and we saw that for a while he wouldn't put it on, right? He was trying to decide what kind of person he has to be to, to wear it. But now he, mm -hmm. you know, he started putting it on when, I guess, especially when he feels like he has to protect people. Or has to fight. Yeah. It is stepping into a different persona, I think. Yeah. Arya stays long enough to watch the guards change, watching people skin deer and return with wood. She hoped to free Gendry after night fell, but the guards stayed around, passing wine and meat at the fire. When she finally gets out of the underbush, her legs and arms are stiff and the night is black. She gets back to the group, quiet as a shadow, and she tells them to stay quiet, telling them that Gendry's been caught. She tells them that she's going to sneak up, kill the guards, and then free him. And when she's, like, coming up to, you know, the gang... Hot Pie says to Arya, oh, he thought he was like, he thought she was a wolf. And I'm like, ha, lol. She is, just not like that. But sometimes like that. Yeah, at night, mostly like that. <laughs> There's this line I have to point out. Mm. Lamy and Hot Pie are like, how many men are we supposed to be killing? And she's like, 20. You know, 20 good men well, she's supposed to be killing. Well, bad men. 20 bad men. She's like, there are 20 There are twenty good men here, but they only gotta kill two. One-tenth of that. It all goes to shit. But only one-tenth. Then she's like, it's easy. You get one of them, I'll get the other one. Oh. Lami says forget it, that we should go in and yield and just leave him. And Arya's like, you're an idiot. Who's gonna carry your bitch ass? Like, he was the <laughs> strong one, dumbass. Hot Pie's like, I'll go. Lami, you stay with Weasel. And Lami's like, what happens if the wolves come? And Arya's like, I suggest you yield. Boom. Boom. And I know you're going to talk about this more later, but it really goes to highlight how Arya's insistent on, like, we got to resist where we can, right? She's a story of resistance mm -hmm. and resilience in many ways, as opposed to, like, y'all, let's just give up. She's had too many people torn from her to give up now. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Arya leads Hot Pie through the woods, saying, don't be afraid of the dead men on the other side. And he stays quiet until a crow lands on him, causing him to give a muffled gasp. A voice hears them, asks who's there. Hot Pie shouts immediately, I yield! Throwing his sword. Arya tries Aww. to grab him back down, but he wrenches loose. She draws Needle, but men have swarmed them by now, and she tries to fight and bite, but a man knocks her back, calling her a fierce one. They talk above her while she lies hurting, her ears ringing. They do a great job in this chapter of using sound and ringing to drown out what's happening, or muffling, right? Like the atmospheric sounds of torture happening behind doors that Aww. we're hearing and passing as they examine the village. Uh, Arya thought she might hear screams, but, you know, they misjudged all of this as just a tiny fishing village. It's been turned into a mini fishing torture village, Hooray. is what it is. Nothing meek about it, right? And that's why Gregor here uh, is able to kind of easily assess the four of them like a machine. Like an absolute oiled machine going, ah, can I enslave my captives? Or should I dispose of them? What will cost me more in the long run? Yeah, that's a great point that they, they didn't judge the situation accurately and, and didn't understand the dangers of it all, right? And how mm -hmm. how close they were to all of it and... The smoking pile of bodies. Yeah, it's almost like, would they have survived if like the adults who were left didn't fucking abandon them? 
mm-hmm. right? Like those two with the tower, but they're assholes. So we have this passage. They took needle. The shame of that hurt worse than the pain. And the pain hurt a lot. John had given her that sword. Sirio had taught her to use it. Finally, someone grabbed the front of her jerkin, yanked her to her knees. Hot Pie was kneeling too, before the tallest man Arya had ever seen. A monster from one of old Nan's stories. She never saw where the giant had come from. Three black dogs raced across his faded yellow surcoat and his face looked as hard as if it had been cut from stone. Suddenly, Arya knew where she had seen those dogs before. The night of the tourney at King's Landing, all the knights had hung their shields outside their pavilions. That one belongs to Hound's brother, Sansa had confided (laughs) when they passed the black dogs on the yellow field. He's even bigger than Hodor. You'll see. They call him the mountain that rides. I just remember the one time the show tried to convince us that this actor, because they switched out the actors for the mountain a lot. And Arya's the mountain recognizes him at one time and and he is not a mountainy kind of man at all he's just like the skinny little beanpole guy no offense to you sir but uh this wasn't (laughs) important it was just a funny memory for me well it's interesting right because they had the first guy like you said was mountainish he was big he He was was just a big guy very mountainy and they didn't have to have him be really a focal point facially yeah. So they were able to keep him that way and get away with it so they could recast if they needed to and not drop a contract. And then they had the beanpole, and that was interesting. And then the <laughs> final guy, who's, you know, world's muscliest 25-year-old man or whatever at the time, he was very young, but very strong, very strong guy. And, I mean, he was great, but he wasn't tall. Like, That's not, true. not like the first tall. guy. No, you're right. Yeah, the first guy. He was guy, big. Whatever happened to the first guy? Why didn't they just get him back? I don't know. I don't know. Well, I mean, no, again, like, I don't think it was literally cast, like, with the idea of being the big role that it needed to be. It was something they could garden with casting, you know? Yeah, that's true. I don't know. That guy just seemed like they're going to just go. They're cheap bitches who didn't know if they were going to get to keep going, is what I'm saying. Also, again, another another recasting. Like, I don't know. New Marcella was fine, but I was devastated for old Marcella. She was so excited to reprise her role. No, that one for sure was worse. That one was bullshit. <laughs> so Hot Pie was yielding and the mountain commands them to lead him to the others in the group and they find Lamy under the oak where he yields immediately, flinging his spear. Then they ask, we heard there was a girl, where'd she go? And Lamy's like, oh, she ran off. And Arya thinks, run, weasel, run as far as you can. And I'm like, that's it. This is the moment. She's becoming Princess Mononoke now. She's going to the wolves. She needs to go north and meet Rickon, you know? They could really Ooh, rule Skagos together. They could. Real, real Mononoke hours. They could. But she doesn't need Rickon. Rickon's got his, like, he's got his, like, <laughs> unicorn thing, right? And then she's got her wolf thing. Ugh. That's what I have for you. And so we come towards the end of the chapter. Tell us where we can find that horse on Dondarrion and there'll be a hot meal in it for you. Who? I told you, this lot don't know no more than those cunts in the village. Waste of bloody time. One of the spearmen drifted over to Lamy. Something wrong with your leg, boy? It got hurt. Can you walk? No. You gotta carry me. Think so? The man lifted his spear casually and drove the point through the boy's soft throat. Tom, Lamy never even had time to yield again. He jerked once, 
and that was all. When the man pulled his spear loose, blood sprayed out in a dark fountain. Carry him, he says. <laughs> what is this happening? <laughs> use this podcast as character work on my resume. I think, um, I think you should. <laughs> sometimes, and I actually want to really shout out an inspiration that I had, which was in my head, whenever I think I get too close in a character, and I'm like, I just sound like Jon Snow, which is often, since yeah. there's so many nameless men we play in this, like Spearmen 1, 2, and 3. Uh-huh. Um, I think about someone who took a very bold risk once, which was Mary from the Learned Hands podcast oh, when yeah. she came on and did a Southern accent for Winifred Manderley or Winifred Manderley, sorry. Um, yeah. It was amazing. It was to, to give the idea of the South, but in the region then, and then in the North. And it was brilliant. So I just sometimes when I'm feeling too stuck, I go farther than I'm expecting. So instead of a various form of English. I thought some sort of Southern X hick slash with a little, you know, cornfields in the Midwest. I don't know what I was doing, but I hope you all enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Um, I mean, it's a yeah. fantasy series, so they can, who even knows what these accents sound like, you know? And that was my fantasy, you know, right yes, there. Yes, that was Chloe's Western fantasy. Was it West? I don't know what it was, but I I do know. know, I was close to going Bugs Bunny all night. I don't know what's going on. Um, Yeah, and my accent as Lamy was different because Lamy's from King's Landing is from a different place. Chloe's is from further west. Those Lannister kinds of men. (laughs) See, we got it. We got a whole world building coming on here. Uh, Okay, I'm going to go back to my accent. Which is like mm-hmm. Midwest that has lived on the East Coast, but also reads a lot. Mm-hmm. Okay, so big philosophical question of the chapter that comes up here, right, is do you fight for the people you care about and die with your ethics intact, which we've seen of some of the characters? Do you yield to the oppressors who burn your land and rape your people? Mm-mm. Who is worth saving? Do you go back for someone who isn't able-bodied and can't contribute? to the community do the people who are strongest get to make the rules or the smartest who gets to control the food who gets to control who gets water or shelter right these are some of the most basic like foundational blocks of living in a society these are rules that are made and crafted and sometimes well i'm gonna be frank with you which one never wants to be sometimes society's not fucking fair And those questions that I just asked get answered maybe in a way that ethically you or I may not agree with, right? And as this is Arya's point of view, we come back to what Ned told her in King's Landing. The lone wolf dies, but the pack survives. And Arya Stark took that seriously, right? She she wrote that one down, took it to heart. They need Gendry to help carry the entire weight of the group literally and figuratively. Hot Pie can help with food purposes, right? He was able to forge some blackberries. He could probably cook if they had enough time and resources and figured it out. They need Lamy to keep being the ideas guy, but maybe shut the fuck up a little bit. Um, Weasel, that's their hope for the future, dude, right? Like, if you can't save a kid, what are you doing? Ask Davos, right? Look at real knights. If you can't save a kid, what the fuck are you doing? And... 
they need Arya because she's quick as water, fast on her feet. She's light. She's observant. She's smart. She's a fast learner. And in, in one swift motion, though, all those things we just said, the mountain doesn't care. His men don't care. He charges his men with cutting through Lamy and any dead weight who don't have the knowledge that he needs, don't have a body that he can use and put to work, doesn't have wit, can't contribute. Gendry, Arya, Lamy, and Hot Pie all argue throughout this chapter about all of these things. Cut Jack and co, right? Leaving them behind, deciding the kids aren't worth saving. Fucked up. Instead of this philosophizing, Gregor's team cuts through it in one moment. Boom. Yeah, I, I think everything that you're describing with the pack, right? They did the thing that they were supposed to do as brothers of the Night's Watch. They were looking out for each other. They were family and they had their roles, right? What you said, like each of them has like kind of their different roles that they fulfill. That's exactly how the Night's Watch is set up as well. And and they were living that. And it's kind of a, it's, it's a big bummer, a bummer for all because you know, Lamy, he he did contribute as an ideas guy and bringing levity to things, but yeah, there's there's absolutely like the central philosophical question that's like in this chapter that that gets carried throughout the books, right? And it's that importance of Arya refusing to just leave Lamy and let him die because we see here doing that is what the fucking bad guys do, all right? And mm -hmm. she does leave the Hound to die, kind of ish, but only because she kind of just forgave him in that moment. And there's an ambivalence and there's an ambiguity, both like in letting him live, right? It's both an act of mercy by not killing him, but also not because that's what he fucking wanted for himself versus with Lamy dying. So you get to see the evolution of how this uh, happens in Arya's storyline, especially because it is different, right? Like Lamy's dying is explicitly not an act of mercy. Other people are deciding for him and it's different from the people who are deciding for themselves at the House of Black and White begging for mercy. So there's this like through line of like what at what point do you become, as you were saying earlier, right? The person who controls like life or death for someone else and she isn't gonna fucking do that for Lamy. I love how that scales, you know, that like she has to go through this entire arc of understanding what that means what you as a human being can play god about yeah and then like you have war and then you have the others on that huge larger scale of like choice slavery yeah good themes george good themesing good themesing well said eliana well r.i.p lamy he was an ideas guy good at names he named weasel he named lumpy head and not enough ideas to save him damn no Ran out of ideas at the worst time. I have had a very excellent time. I've actually had a very nice yeah. night with you, Eliana. Thank you for a, a wonderful episode. My God, good game. Good game. Good game. Good game of Thrones, but <laughs> Clash of Kings. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I don't know why you said actually, like we don't have a great time all the time, but you know, whatever. No, whatever, no. Fine. I have a great time every week talking to you Spreading and <laughs> our friends at home. <laughs> Spreading lies just like Arya Stark. I enjoy spreading lies with you every week to our friends. I enjoy the time we have, but tonight was extra special. I don't know. There was something about it. It was a blast. It was a it was a hoot. It was a holler. So thanks for listening. Uh every week I spend with you all is a gift of but mercy. Not of, oh Jesus. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding, it's not. I'm still here. There's no mercy. 
Eliana, where can they find us on the internet to talk to us? Where can you find us? Where can you send your emails and your legal analyses, your thoughts on Hot Pie's culinary tastes? You can send them to us on Twitter slash X at twitter.com slash girlsgonecanon. That's C-A-N-O-N. You can find us also on Blue Sky. And actually one of the comments that we received was on Podbean. If you want to leave us a Podbean comment, you can do that. You can also send us an email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. Yeah, and I will add, if you are getting into Blue Sky and you are a Song of Ice and Fire fan on there, there is a new feed. It is called the B-Sky ASWAF feed. You can look it up. You can find me on there at Lies and Arbor, and I have a link there to it. But if you tweet or skeet, it's called there. It's really not called that, but we call it that. If you post on Blue Sky and you use A-S-O-I-A-F in your Blue Sky post slash skeet, it will show up in this feed. You can find other A Song of Ice and Fire tweets, skeets, whatever you want to call them. It's a good time. So I'll leave a link there for you. A skeet of ice and fire. And a huge thank you to our patrons who sponsor us and keep every single episode ad-free because LaCroix still won't sponsor us. So patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon if you too want to sponsor us. We really appreciate you all for everything you do for us and for our patrons who keep us going every month. And here is a little word from them on some of the places you can find us. You can catch Girls Gone Canon on any of the following streamers. On Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Acast, Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Audible, and Amazon Podcasts. You can also join us on Patreon, where if you join the Thunder tier above, you have access to a Discord and monthly happy hours and things like that. And... By joining the Discord, you get access to a bunch of great channels, including but not limited to memes and shitposting channel, Fashion Hour. There are multiple channels for historic materials, A Song of Ice and Fire. There's a Pets channel, which I think is probably the most important channel of all. Respectful Thirsting, because there's a channel for that. Come by, join the community. It's a lot of fun, and you won't regret it. Oh my gosh, I love them. Don't you love them? I Don't do. you just love them? I do, and I I'm like glad the that they song. remember all the things. Yeah, the song's a good touch. I like that they re- help us remember where to find us, because Lord knows I lose myself all the time. Yeah, if your head wasn't attached, my God, Mm-mm. it would fall off. Mm-mm. Well, thanks for listening. We'll be back <laughs> to misinform you! <laughs> yes. <sighs> <clears throat> we'll be back next week hopefully sans the misinformation actually we'll be back with sailor moon next week so aria will come back in october we'll be back in october with aria in a clash of kings we'll be finishing up sailor moon crystal season three and we hope you tune into that thanks for listening i've been one of your hosts chloe and i've been another one of your hosts eliana did you know there were two songs named Miss Independent? One is by Kelly Clarkson, and the other, I forgot the one by Nia, the Miss Independent. That's oh, why yeah. I love her. Miss Information. That's why I love her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it works too. Both of them work, I think. Miss Information. Uh, 
We'll be here to misinform you next week or next month. See? Oh my god, misinformation. I gave misinformation about the lyrics of the song. Mm. It's she's got her own thing, that's why I love her. Then it goes Miss Independent. And I don't know the rest of the tune of this song because I don't listen to this one, but I do listen to the Kelly Clarkson one. We'll see you all later. Goodbye. Goodbye.